Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. Today I have the most exciting topic you might possibly imagine. Staging Free environments. Money? Free money? <laughs> no, <laughs> staging environments. Aaron, that's that's even better than free money. Mm-hmm. So Obviously, we'll start by kind of defining what I have in mind when I say staging environment. But um, the purpose or the audience for a staging environment, generally speaking, is the person you're doing the work for. So the client, the stakeholder. And I, I kind of view it as a way to get things ready to show to them, sort of like a trial run before you move it into production and just kind of a, a safe environment to play around with the application and not worry about breaking things, corrupting data, et cetera. Would you agree with that definition? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Okay. And so, I mean, you might even extend it to say developers could use it too. In some cases though, you would have your own local dev environment you could play around with. Or if you had some really big new version of something, you might even have a separate dedicated server for that. But let's, let's just focus kind of on the primary use case here. So the first thing you might wonder, and I've wrestled with this in the past, is like, where do you put the staging environment? We generally, when we deploy an app, we don't deploy it with other apps. Like, like, so if client A has an application, we we deploy it to their own server. Like we don't share them between Mm -hmm. servers. I know some like agency type models, they'll, they'll pile as many sites onto a server as they can. But what about a staging site? Like, would you put that on the same server as production or what, what are your opinions on that? Well, I think it kind of depends on um, how you think you're going to use the staging environment. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of talked about this is a place to test out new features maybe or or whatnot. And I want to expand it. I would say it's a place to test out new features. It's a place to look at the code before it's going to go to production. But it's mm-hmm. also a place to test existing functionality to make sure you know how it works without creating test accounts in production. Right. Yep. And, and, and so, and then a final thing I put on there is it may be one of the environments that you use for load testing. Okay. So because of sure. that, because of that reason, I would not put it on the same server as production because um, I, I just don't want any of the, um, either of them to affect each other. So yeah. staging is my last bastion of making sure this new code is going to work mm-hmm. uh, or that I'm going to load test against it or all those different things. And I don't want some broken code to be slowing down my production web servers, you know, things like that. And, uh, and vice versa, I'm testing staging and maybe I'm trying to see how fast it, re- it reacts to something. I only want it to have my traffic that I'm putting on it. Yeah. Not like if we're having a surge of, black friday visitors or something right um <laughs> right. on a production website and then we're like why is our staging code so slow we must have did something wrong no it's it's not there's just a lot of people using the site yeah i think performance is a great reason especially like you said if you're doing load testing another reason i like to keep it separate is maybe the staging server is where you first trial like an upgrade of a php version or mm-hmm. a new server os and like you could maybe like the php version you could maybe do on the same server but I just, I just like having it totally separate. I mean, yes, it's an added cost, um, hosting cost, but they don't have to be long-lived either. You could make staging something you bring up as needed. And maybe after you're done with the development effort, you bring it down. Like we typically leave them up because we're not running massive servers. So it's not a, 
even though it, it might be doubling the cost, it's not, the clients don't care about it. It's, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of the overall project budget. Yeah. Our, our type of client usually would not freak out over having the staging environment running. And I don't think I'd want to work with one like that anyway, Yeah, because, because yeah. like I said, one of the, one of the big draws for me of having a staging environment is maybe even you're hiring a new person onto your team mm-hmm. and you want to show them how the website works. They shouldn't be making test company Mm-mm. in production. They no. should be doing that in the staging environment so that they yeah. can learn how the tool works. Yeah. The other thing I thought of too is like sometimes you get this weird overlap. Let's say you're running Redis on the web server. You know, it's not a massive site. Like all of a sudden now are your staging jobs getting written to the same queue as your production job? Like it's it it there's a potential there of things going wrong. Why not just spend the extra, you know, 20, 30 bucks a month to have a separate staging environment or, or whatever, whatever it costs. Another thing to talk about in a staging environment is like, how is it different from production or is it different? Like, is it literally the same exact configuration? You might think that'd be great. I'll throw one thing out there that I definitely think should be different. And I know we've, uh, we agree on this. So this will be an easy one. Your staging server should have limits as to what sort of email it can send out, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not sending accidentally live emails to users of your application. You know, maybe you whitelist your own email address or the developer email addresses or the domain of the company that you're working for so they can get emails, but you don't accidentally send them out to like 5,000 live users. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think the way I handle the email is probably, I'm not sure if it works for every client and some of our larger ones, this wouldn't, mm-hmm. but local, I make sure no matter what, it's always configured as SMTP. And okay. then locally I send to something like, um, hello, uh, you know, local app by beyond code. Um, uh, when I'm in um, production, I'll use something like SendGrid okay. um, to send SMTP that way. And then uh, when I am staging, I will send to Mail- MailTrap. Um, mm, okay. because I, I want, I want people to see who's going to get the email, but I don't want it to go to that person. So part, yeah. part of the testing of email is did the proper person receive it? Mm-hmm. And then they have to be able to verify that. And, and so yeah. there are services out there where you can whitelist domains and stuff. Um, but I think then people end up always making the same account with, you know, Aaron at company.com and, and, right. and then does your mail server support like the plus sign Aaron plus second account at, at sure. company. You know. <laughs> right. Yep. Sometimes they don't, you know, so um, I think using something like MailTrap in the middle is, is, is nice. On the flip side, of course, when you have more people than just like one or two testing, that could be mm-hmm. kind of tough. So, yeah, yeah, it's it, it can bring added cost, you know, like the free version of MailTrap only gives you <laughs> so many users. But, yeah, it's a little more friction for the person using it. And, um, you know, you might even argue, too, like it doesn't accurately if you're looking at email design, you know, seeing it in a browser versus people testing it with real mail clients, but there's, there's other tools for that too. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. One other thing too, bug reporting, you know, like we wire up bug tracking in production. Would you wire that up in staging? Absolutely. Because yeah. the staging website is basically my production website. I mean, there's, yeah. uh, it's, it's hard to explain. Uh, it, when you go through, your levels of development and especially how you mature through how you use a project or you Mm -hmm. develop a project, you have to understand that staging really is the last step. And it should be (laughs) basically, it should be exactly configured like everything you would have in production. And if anything happens on staging, that's a, that's a huge bug. 
Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't have, if I had like a shared dev server, I wouldn't necessarily have it on on there. I'd have, you know, just logs that go away after a day or two or whatever. And locally, I, I you know, I have it logging to my local log so I can take mm-hmm. a look at that and, and whatnot yeah. um, with Xdebug, that too, and, and everything. But um, yeah, for your produ- for your staging, I, I would say it's just, it's a, you know, it's a staging environment, you know? So like if you're using something like bug snake, you can right. say what, what stage this is. And so those errors would come through properly. Yeah. Especially if you're having users kick the tires, there might be things thrown or things that happen and they they'll even report it to you. That'd be nice. Um, but you don't have the context if you don't have something wired up to, to capture that. So yeah, hundred percent agree there. Definitely have that wired up just as if it was production. I think one of the things that maybe we're glossing over a little bit and I want to double mm-hmm. down on okay. is when, when users are using staging to test that out, sometimes they're in a position where it's in their best interest to not necessarily report a bug either because to they might be a stakeholder. No, no, because they might okay. be a stakeholder in getting this project released. Oh, and so sure, sure. every bug they tell the developers, the slower it is, right? Yeah. So if I tell the developer about these, th- maybe that maybe that was just me. Maybe I just messed something up or, or whatever. Yeah. And if they don't, if they don't tell the developer, uh, then the project will go out. I, I know for some people listening, you're probably like, I've never had a customer ignore bugs, and please give me some of those customers, right? Yeah. But I mean, it does <laughs> it does happen depending on who your stakeholder mm-hmm. is, um, and so knowing that ahead of time is cool. I'd also say on on the flip side, one of the things I've ran into recently is I had a customer testing and staging. Mm-hmm. And they ran into an issue and I happened to be working at the same time and I saw the issue and I messaged them on our shared Slack. And I said, Hey, I saw you just ran into an error. So let you know, I'll be fixing that. You can try it again in 10 minutes. Whoa. And they were just blown away because they've never, ever, ever had a developer who knew about an error they experienced. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a couple of quick wins I got with that client as well. Yeah. That's a good point. You, you can be, really responsive to that. So maybe the last thing to touch on is how do you secure the staging server? Like you probably don't want random users stumbling across it. And maybe even if you're taking kind of like a sanitized snapshot of production, you certainly don't want just an average user being able to log in and use it. One thing I've done, and uh, this is kind of where I'm leaning right now, is just sort of a basic gate, like basic HTTP authorization gate um, so that it can be up there. It can be accessible. You can give out, you know, a common set of credentials to a small set of users, but it prevents Google from stumbling across it. It prevents a, a real user from finding it, or maybe even somebody that's up to no good. Do you, do you think that's enough, Aaron, or what other um, techniques have you used to, to kind of protect that staging environment? So I've actually ran into that a few times, and that's been a problem for me too. Mm. Depending on the type of um, project you're making, I've had, you know, how do you make a staging API that has one form of auth right. that like you would then put another one above? You know, yeah, I, that's I don't true. know exactly how that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I've had customers that just, I mean, once it was saved in their browser, that's great. But, you know, I, if I tell them to test on multiple browsers and then on their phone, They'll just get upset it's a pain. about that. Yeah, it is yeah. a pain. Um, so another thing that I've done, and I normally would say don't don't rely on security through obscurity. Okay. But I ha- I have come up with um, different phrases and things to name the staging server URL that isn't yeah. staging. Or uh, test. And so, 
yeah, yeah. exactly staging test dev uh, any of those things mm-hmm. uh, you know it doesn't have that word in it um and it has another phrase that maybe means something to the company um internally um or, or something like that you know or just like you know right. fluffyballoon.com you know or whatever you know and you're <laughs> sure. like what? yeah, yeah I, or, you know and that that happens to, to mm-hmm. be the staging environment and i found that maybe that's not great but that friction has been a lot less than having people have to remember a password to type in, you know, yeah. using the password on, you know, so I don't know if there's a really good re- answer for that. Um, I've had people also say, maybe you can restrict it by IP. Right. Um, yeah. And I've had people argue with me, Joel, that their um, home IP never changes, Joel. <laughs> it um, only changed one and, time, Aaron. <laughs> and, and then literally like days later, it changes. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily a great way of doing it either. Yeah, I, I agree. So that, that, that one, there's some trade-offs. You kind of have to weigh it for yourself in, in the context of your own project and what really is at risk. So hopefully some some things to think about. And and maybe the thing you're thinking about right now is I don't have a staging environment. And so we've given you a little head start on some things to consider when you go about setting that up. So we might have talked about this before, but there's a lot of things that um, we maybe did back in a day or we thought were no longer going to be a thing, but they sort of still are a thing, but just differently. Maybe the flip version. And so I'll give you some examples and see if you can think of some. Please. So we used to spend time finding old photographs, black and white photographs, maybe colorizing them. But now if you think (laughs) about it, and in the, especially in the future, people are going to find, be finding our photographs and removing filters from them. Like, just mm. get it back to the normal colors or whatever. Like, instead <laughs> right. of, what's all this filters? Or why does why does everyone from 2017 have a crown of stars on their head? I just don't understand. <laughs> How can I remove these cat whiskers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or another thing that everyone kind of warned about is like. No one, I mean, we email now, we don't send letters, so we're not going to need the post office. You know, that's going to go away. But now more than ever, we need things like the post office because we're doing online shopping mm. and we're like sending more and more packages. And so, again, we're like, we're not going to need that. In fact, we need that more. Uh, and then the other one I think about is people talk about like maybe um, don't, you know, like we used to, oh, if there's a penny on the ground, pick up the penny and you'll make, you'll make money. That's, that's worthwhile. And I think people these days see a penny and they're like, oh, I'm not going to pick that up. But if you think about it mathematically, there's 3,600 3, seconds in an hour. Okay. Um, so that's really $36 an hour if you were to pick up a penny whenever you saw one. Because it takes about what? a second to pick one up. So really, people have, you can make more money now by picking up pennies than, does this make Are any sense? Are you following behind somebody that's like, <laughs> Carrying a jug of pennies and, and filling yeah. them. I realize my, my math is saying that there's constantly a set of pennies to pick up. Yeah. But the point is like people like people think like, oh, we don't need to do that. I'm like, no, like if you if you if you factor that out, that's 36 bucks an hour. That's a that's a lot of money still. What if every time you bent down there was a penny and a dime? And you can only pick up one. Well, I pick up the penny because it's bigger. <laughs> that's right, it is. It makes no sense. The, yeah. the only thing I thought of as you were saying this was like in terms of a, a, a cycle as it comes to technology is this um, like people when, when 
smartphones first came out, they like loaded mm-hmm. them up with apps and they clamored for more apps. And now like we have so many apps, I've seen this trend of people like I'm removing everything from my phone except like the phone app and the music app. And like, I don't want Slack and I don't want email and I don't want yeah. a browser. And I'm like, you kind of went back to the original iPhone, but I, I've seen that as like this digital minimalism trend. Like I don't want all the stuff on my phone with me all the time. Or, or that, that, I mean, same sort of idea with cell phones is, oh, okay, you got a cell phone. Let's make it smaller. Let's make it smaller. And they get really Too small, small and all of a sudden people are like, let's make them bigger. And pretty yeah. soon you see like someone's, someone's like walking around like, with a tablet as a phone. They're like, it, it can't even fit in guys' pants pockets anymore. <laughs> nice. Do you want to be a hero to all your dev friends? Share the No Compromises podcast with them. Then send them to our podcast, Home on the Web, show.nocompromises.io. 